Welcome back folks to Two Bricks One Puck. I'm your host, Mr. Intangibles, and a night boy, and a hot bum boy, and a bin boy, and a man who has watched a lot of movies recently, and a man who'll admit he's wrong, a secret party planner, and a milk thief, a man of culture, and a cross-country traveller, and a complicated man, Dan Masters, with my good friend, a man who likes to read the rule book, and a man who needs a new hockey team to follow, a man who's found the perils of flat pack furniture, and a man this week who actually used our Twitter account the East Anglian Elliot Friedman, and the leader of Hockey Human Resources, the East Kent Elliot Friedman, and a man who is finally, finally in his new house. A man who put on a hell of a wedding. A man who loves a good jersey discussion, and a man who likes to read the rule book. The man who hates my holidays, Will Everett Human. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, guys. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Cheers for just coming on, Meredith. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Obviously, you work over at, for the Ice Garden over at SB Nation. Yes. You focus on uh, primarily Finland and Sweden. How did you yes. um, How did you come to do that job? How did you get to that point? Um, getting this entire job was an accident. Like, so much of my life in sports has been a total accident. Um, when the Ice Garden put out their initial call that they wanted um, people in 2016... I um I was already following on Twitter uh, Hannah Beavis who was our original editor and yeah. I was already like I liked women's hockey but it like I didn't think I knew anywhere near enough to actually like write and sound like I know what I'm talking about you know what I mean and so I applied to be an editor and a proofreader because I love picking out people's commas and things like that <laughs> I'm just I'm that I'm that nerd and so I sent her my application and she came back to me and was like I want you to write I really like your voice in this application will you consider writing for us it's like uh okay okay if, if I have to. um but i got into the nordic hockey because i actually i lived in finland for a year and so um it just seemed like natural to go from this place that i was already interested in that i've spent a lot of time in and that nobody really in the english language seemed to be talking about these places like and it's so kind of i write articles that i would want to read um and then the more that i read about it the more i was like okay yeah this is this is definitely my turf, and it turned out, actually, when I lived in Finland, the um, the um, then Espo Blues actually played in the rink right behind where I lived, and I didn't realize this when I was there, because I wasn't a sports fan yet, but so they won a bunch of championships, literally in my backyard, almost. <laughs> That's unbelievable. So how did you live in, why did you live in Finland, then? Um, I got, I was an au pair for a year, like, basically, I got out of university, I didn't know what I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to get to the country somehow, and, like, more than just a vacation. I wanted to actually like really experience it. So I got myself an au pair job and I was there for a year. And then I went back, I was there from 2010 to 2011. And then I went back in 2012 for about a month. And then in 2015, I went back as my kind of my 30th birthday present to just to myself. I'm like, all right, screw it. I'm taking a vacation. I'm going back to Helsinki. And then I went to Sweden for the first time in what was it? Yeah. April of 2018 to got to see some games and get to do some interviews in person. It was really cool. Uh, are you at all concerned about the TV deal in that if it if it doesn't succeed, that there'll be lots of talk of, well, we tried it once and that's it. So what's the point? Mm, that could definitely happen. But um, as the um, I wasn't and then you mentioned it and now I am. <laughs> oh, <God>, sorry. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. And now I'm like, oh, damn you. Now I'm thinking about this. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, well, for, can, for the uninitiated, Meredith, like how how big a deal are sport channeling and uh, and is it C C plus? Is it sorry the other one? 
Uh, Seymour, Seymour Sport, I believe. Well, Justin they got it. They got it on. Um, they got it on S. You know what? I wrote a whole thing about this. Let me just let me do the easy thing and just get my own article out. Yeah, this is us exposing the the lack of preparation we do with anything in life. Oh, it's all right. You can see I didn't. I didn't either. That's, that's uh, good. We're all in the same boat. It's, yeah, it's just understanding how, like, you know, whether this is like them getting on ESPN for Finland or whether it's getting on the the Golf you, Channel. Or... You know what? It might kind of if the stuff that they get on SBT is kind of like them getting on getting on the BBC. Now, I don't know if that would be like BBC One or BBC Two or however many. I don't know how many y'all got now. There's quite. Oh, yeah, we got a few. You know, we tried to my keep God, a few my in Indiana, stock. My Indiana yeah. just came up so bad there, but. Um, <laughs> Really getting on like getting on the bigger um, public access channels is kind of the dream. That's what you want. And like people were watching. I know they were on. They had the SDHL finals were on SBT last year, and people were watching and people were paying attention. And I think that helped galvanize getting them more TV exposure because it's like, hey, people actually want to watch this. People give a shit, and that's wonderful. Just a couple of little quick things before we uh, before we wrap up. I noticed that on Twitter last night you wrote about having a, a makeup crisis. Oh yes. <laughs> within within that though, there is a, a a serious question: Is that do you ever feel pressured you have to look a certain way when you go to what would say like a corporate event or something like that? You know what? Probably, but I am a cranky, stubborn, half Italian, butch bisexual woman. If y'all don't like that, <laughs> fuck you. Oh my god, so, you fit in, oh god, you. Fit, I think we, we can be best friends, Meredith. I feel oh good, we fit in great, so well. wonderful, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Like god. I'm going to. I came out. I talked about this. I talked about this. I think a bit like a month, like a month ago, because it was Bisexual Visibility Day. And like, I don't like to talk about a tremendous amount, if any, about my personal life. But I want to talk about being an open bisexual and not conforming to gender standards. Because when I came out. I didn't have anybody that looked like me. I didn't see this. Like I saw, I saw like David Bowie and Lou Reed who were these androgynous people that attract, like I was attracted to this because it was different from anything that I'd ever seen. So I'm from, I'm from Indiana. I grew up in a college town in Indiana and I live in um, the biggest city in our state now. But even growing up in a college town, there was nobody that looked like me and was going through what I was going through. And so if people can see this and see like, all right, you're bald. You can also completely snatch your makeup better than the average just woman with long hair and, you know, red lipstick and high heels on. But, okay, you're wearing a blazer and a Jack Skellington T-shirt to a corporate work event. That's awesome. So, no, I don't. But I also it's because I refuse to bow to that pressure. I won't do it. There's nothing wrong with being a highly femme woman. Like, I absolutely people of all genders wear as much makeup as you want. Wear as, wear as little as you want. You're not hurting anybody. Do whatever you want. Do you. But for me, it's, yeah, I'm going to be bald. I'm going to have glitter on my face, and I'm going to feel fantastic. I, I feel that's a sentiment in life I want to take into my own personal <laughs> life, Meredith. And just amplify the amount of glitter that I use on a daily basis. <laughs> and the, uh, the, debacle, the debacle last night was I got a sample of a new a foundation primer and it ruined my foundation it looked like, looked like pieces were like chunking off of my face and i had to just start over and I'm like oh oh god okay but you know we got through we got it done and it turned out great so i was happy so can you repurpose it as really good like halloween makeup if you guys like um Ooh. like mm-hmm. the, the thing from the fantastic four maybe Ooh. yeah there, there you go there you go i was gonna, I was gonna I say the cop like from the end of robocop who gets driven into the thing of acid <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure how well you know that reference. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just 
just I'm just delighted. Like just be walking, just be walking around, like giving out candy to the kids in my neighborhood. Oh, that's a chunk of my skin just fell into your fell into your treat bag. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> see what happens. Okay. Okay. Don't worry, it's non GMO, so you can still eat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm putting this off, but we should get onto the topic, shouldn't we? As um, sad as I am. Are you wearing black? I am. I'm in, I'm in all black. I'm not one of those Greek women who, after their husband dies, just wears black for the rest of her life. I've had my veil on for the past four or five days. My black veil, my black hat. <sighs> I can't even bring myself to say it, Will. But it is a very sad... Say. No, it's fine. It's a very sad day. The Teflon Don has been whacked by Bob Nicholson. Peter Chiarelli is gone. We need to remember the good times. And I have produced a small little remembrance piece that I'm going to put into the show to remember that. <laughs> Taylor Hall to um, to um, New Jersey for defenseman Adam Larson. Seven years, forty-two million dollars for Milan Lucic, and I believe there are two reasons the Edmonton Oilers traded Jordan Eberle: payroll and performance. Oilers made a couple of transactions today, placing Ty Ratty and Ryan Spooner on waivers. Edmonton Oilers, Miko Koskinen, a three-year deal, AAV 4.5 million. How does that affect the goalie market? <laughs> as, as he's looking for work, we should get him on. We should. No one's got. Get, Do you reckon anyone's tried to host. get him on to just discuss his time there? Oh, they must mate. have done. They must have done. I'd love... Oh, mate, him and Customs. That'd be beautiful, wouldn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine the full, the, the full six? The full six to Chiarelli. 480. <laughs> <laughs> it's the full six to with extra time. Can you imagine if he just... If he if he created a Patreon for one show and charged $5, he'd make a fortune off it. Because I'd buy I'd it pay. immediately. I'd buy $10. I'd pay $10. To hear him talk. Case in point, the reason I subscribed to the to the Athletic was an Arpon Basu um, article saying PK Subban on why he, on his feelings on leaving the Montreal Canadiens. I'm a sucker for that sort of shit. <laughs> oh yeah, absolute sucker. Give me the behind the scenes details. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm down. I'm down forty quid a year now, but all <laughs> yeah. because of that one clickbaity article. Chiarelli is gone. Where do we go? It's over. Here, what do we do? It is over. The dream is over. It's it's one of those funny things that I sort of like. I think I wanted it to happen. Like we slammed, we got ragged on him so much that it must have been because you know I thought I, he deserves to be fired. But I never really, I never wanted it to happen. Not like no. this. No, we need to carry on for it. It's like it's like through the tears. Eugene, not, not like this. It's like you know I, I want Eugene out because he's terrible. But oh, it's, it's good to have him around, isn't it? It is good to have him around. I can't help but feel slightly responsible in my own little way in that I started a hashtag keep Chiarelli campaign literally the day before. <laughs> Shit. No, no coincidence there. No. So now I've started a higher Chiarelli campaign. We have to get him back into the league somehow. No, we, we, want him, we want him in the podcast game, don't we? We do want him in the podcast game. I wonder if I could just, I wonder if I could just get in touch and just make out that we don't know what's going on. And we just say, oh, we're just two English guys. We'd love to talk to you about what it's like being the general manager of an NHL team. <laughs> and then just get him on and just just open it with, 
Really, Peter? Taylor Hall, Adam Larson? Really? <laughs> I'd pretend that we don't even know he's been sacked. <laughs> that would be it. And would he go along, sure to... would he go along with it? <laughs> oh, God. No, but how, how, long, how long through the Skype conversation would he last with us just making jokes about Griffin Reinhardt and I don't fucking know. Ryan Spooner? In light of my love of a cheeky 1-0 hockey game, and as a fan of all things low-scoring, I thought we should have somebody on the show who's well-versed in that side of the game. So please welcome on a writer for Ingle Media, and a contributor to Sportsnet and The Athletic, and some would say a goaltending savant. Paul Campbell. Paul, how are you doing? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I appreciate being oversold at the beginning, and then people can <laughs> I can let people down gently and gradually as, as the podcast continues. What was it then that drew you to joining the No Fun team and becoming a goalie? <laughs> because I've, I've always found out, because I was a goalie as well, not in ice hockey, but I was a goalie in field hockey and a goalie mm. in soccer. And I've always thought, for some reason, there was just something about being a goalie that drew me in. I didn't, I didn't choose goalie. Goalie seemed to choose me. And I wonder if that's the same for you. Oh, that's really, I, I love that way of putting it. I, I think there's something about goaltending that's magic. I feel like goaltenders um, often uh, have a personality type that draws them to magic, that draws them to being the person who is not quite uh, like the others, who, is, who, who, is, who has these magical abilities that are in some ways very limiting and require a lot of support, uh, but on the other hand, enable you to do something uh, that other people can't do. Uh, and I, I've always felt like that from the first time I ever laid eyes on this weird-looking uh, person standing in the net doing things that the others aren't doing, uh, that for some reason that always drew me in. So I think that's the I think that's the the the, the big connection uh, for me. Uh, that that was a person who was doing something that was incredible, uh, that was different from everyone else, and that seemed somewhat magical. It was interesting what you say about because I'm I'm an only child, and I've often wondered mm-hmm. if that's my that's what drew me to being a goalie, because you don't practice obviously with the other players really. In any kind of sport, you, you have your own little practices, your own routines. You're not doing the same things everyone else is doing on the ice. Like pretty much 98% of everybody else on the ice is doing the same thing. And you're just stood there, you know, obviously having pucks dinged off you. I yeah. wondered if there was like an only child thing or, I don't know, something like that. Uh, well, what I've been noticing, uh, at, at, over at Ingle, they, um, they do a podcast and uh, they interview goaltenders, usually pro goalies. And they ask them how they got their start. And there are a few ways that goaltenders sort of very commonly get their start. And one of them is the younger sibling phenomenon. So you end up being the – you want to play with the big kids, but you can't really go out there and whack the ball around. And they don't really want you. However, none of them wants to be a goalie. So you end up being the goalie so that you can go and play with your your older siblings. And that's a really, really common uh, phenomenon I I think half the goalie stories that I've heard, even from these pros, uh, said that, yeah, I want to play, you know, I wanted to play, and my older brother stuck me in net, and I ended up really liking it. So I, I find that's common. As far as only siblings, I don't know. Um, I haven't seen any correlation, but uh, I think there's enough variety that, you know, uh, these things uh, these things happen or not. Like, I'm an, I'm an oldest, uh, and I ended up being the goalie, so it's not 100%, oh, okay. but uh, I, I think the older, the older being a younger sibling is something that, that happens quite often. Because you're a goalie. Any superstitions? Ah, love it. Uh, I did. So I had, a, I had a range of superstitions that involved the way that I would get on the ice and skate around, uh, the way that I would end the warm-up, right? Um, I would go, you know, I'd tap my post a certain way. I would go into the corner always the same way. I would turn the same way. Uh, 
when I was watching hockey games, I would sit on the couch in a certain position, especially if it was the playoffs. I would have my equipment around me and have my water and I would have, you know, um, that I would wear the same uh, shorts. And I would, uh, I, I mean, I had a whole realm of superstitions around sport, <laughs> around hockey and around goaltending. Uh, however, uh, as, I've, as I've aged and become a, a, a dire, cold-hearted cynic, uh, you know, enthralled to materialism and science, I've decided that I probably am actually harming myself in some way because, <laughs> and I think, I think this happens to this day with even pro goalies, they talk about their superstitions. And if you get really hung up on a routine, once the, if the one day you can't do the thing you need to do, or you screw it up, you, you've set yourself, uh, you, you've given yourself an, a self-inflicted wound that was entirely unnecessary. Uh, whether or not this routine has helped you in the past is debatable, but the minute that it can't happen, if you're really hung up on it, forget it. You, you've just shot yourself in the foot. And uh, so, so no, I'm I'm trying to wean myself away from all superstition, uh, <laughs> even as a even as a fan or as someone who has a ruining interest in any game. I'm like, no, I'm 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 going to intentionally break the pattern that I established last time, so that I don't think that that's going to lead to something this time, uh, something positive. So no, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm getting getting away from superstition. I did the same. You mentioned uh, item of clothing. I did the same with a t-shirt. Is that if I was watching a soccer game, um, if my team was playing, I would wear a certain t-shirt, and then if they <laughs> lost, I would still wear the t-shirt the next time. And my wife would say, "Why are you wearing that t-shirt? Well, it's my lucky t-shirt." <laughs> they lost last week, and I went, "Yeah, but that was different." Like I was making excuses for a piece of clothing. <laughs> like this is this t-shirt's got a hold over me. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> you, I'm making excuses for the t-shirt. That's great. You name the shirt. You like you console it after your wife was critical. <laughs> there, there, t-shirt. There, it's okay. It's, she didn't mean Look it. Them next time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should list our favourite words, stroke phrases that hockey players can use on the ice to make hockey language better. Do you think yeah, we should? I'll, is this okay? Yeah, I, I think that's good. I've got a few, um, a few options prepared actually. I, I don't know if you do. I've got a couple. Uh, a lot of mine are um, very family friendly. Dan, we want it to be family friendly. It's a family game after all. <laughs> well, one of them has to be because mine and none of mine are. <laughs> well, I can now. We're going to play to five hundred on the. Uh, yeah, there you scale. go. <laughs> there you um, go. A ninny, you can call your uh, your opponent a ninny. Uh, short for nincompoop. That's uh, an idiot of ridiculous nature, uh, also known as a clown. Um, my uh, my example uh, to be used in the dictionary would be Zach Ronaldo is a ninny. <laughs> Zach Ronaldo is a ninny. I'm taking on lines of well, is it still hockey? And as we're still dumb idiot men in the NHL playing this sport. I feel that they're still going to want to swear. So my number five is, you fucking ball bag. So this is very simple, is that the pieces of skin around the testicles are fucking gross. <laughs> they're just disgusting. Because let's be honest, naked men in general just look weird. Speak they just look, Dude, a, a naked man just looks weird. I don't care what naked man it is. And I, but but I, the way I look at it is, if I feel if a supreme being was modelling the first man and woman... And they had to say seven days to do it. The woman is all, it's all curves and smooth and soft and gentle. And with the guy, they did the same thing, but they had this bit of clay left over at the end. And they went, oh shit, where do we put this? And someone went, oh, just stick it there in between the legs. Just stick it on. That'll do. Like, okay, then fine. And they just stuck it on. And ball bags are just, oh, they're just horrible. They're just horrible. So my number five is, you fucking ball bag. So there we go. 
That's Start nice. with something to nice. go on. Yeah. Okay. What have you got? My uh, my next submission going to be another another British classic. Uh, Burke. <laughs> so originally used as rhyming slang uh, for a most hideous mm. word, Dan. Uh, which I won't re- I won't repeat. I won't repeat. Okay. I won't even give you the rhyming slang for it. It's disgusting. Right, I never even knew. But now it's used used for a contemptuous moron. So not quite um not quite as belittling as Ninny. It's a bit more a bit more uh, vicious, such as you know Tom Wilson is a Burke. <laughs> Number four. This matches up well with my previous choice. So I feel if you maybe hit me with and I'm not looking, I can shout at you, you fucking cockend. Now, as much to my as I said, match to my previous <laughs> description of ball bags, the ends of penises are gross. I, and I'm I feel talking like there's a bit of a, a Freudian obsession in these uh, in these insults here, Dan. No, because they're just blah, they're just horrible. Don't, dude. I'm talking specific. Hey, I watch porn. I've seen a male. I've seen a penis. I, I don't care. I've seen a penis. But, my time. Yeah, I've seen, yeah. An uncircumcised penis is maybe the worst thing in the world. Just wretch. Just if I call you a cock end, I essentially view you as a cheese-filled, sweaty appendage that piss comes out of. That's not nice. That's not nice at all. Number four, you fucking cock end. <laughs> oh, mate, that's fucking. <laughs> Thank you very much for that one. Um, Thank you. My, my number three is uh, it's a classic. One of my favourites. One of my favourites. Knuckle Dragger. Oh! Dude. Um, oh, a great choice. You, th- thank you very much. Yeah, absolute Knuckle Dragger. Um, yeah, you're behind the times and you hold everyone else back if you're a Knuckle Dragger. You Mila are Neanderthal man. Yeah. Exactly. And, and Mila Lucic, you are a Knuckle Dragger. Your, your brain has not developed. This this is it. You're just you're just unable to keep up with uh, with the modern times. You know what's amazing as well is when with knuckle dragger, it has to be preceded by absolute. You mm. never say you knuckle dragger. You absolute knuckle dragger. It has to be absolute in front of it. Yeah, you have to reiterate the fact that they are complete and utter knuckle dragger. This isn't just a momentary thing. Like they are, they forever have been and forever will be a knuckle dragger. Completely agreed. My number three, and this is as this is as British as. Tea and crumpets on the lawn with the Queen. You massive wanker. <laughs> it's as classic. Believe, like, Go on. I, I don't get how wanker hasn't caught on worldwide. It's unbelievable. It's on an episode of The Simpsons at like 6pm prime time and Homer's watching a show about some British pub. And he says to Bart, and then you have a fight with a wanker. And we're like, hang on, what did he, did he say wanker on TV? Like, you can't say that in England on TV. Oh, it's just not allowed. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but you massive wanker! It's it's Queen, it's the Royal Albert Hall, it's the Beatles. Wanker is as British as it gets. And as I started to delve into the word and how it could be, and how it, what it could mean and how it could be used, I fully understood it. You are such a disgusting human being. You will never find love in the arms of anyone else. You're so gross. You have to pleasure yourself. That's the only way you can get any sexual pleasure on this planet is by sorting yourself out. Number three, you massive wanker. And that's your um third phallic based In- insult. Uh, 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 hang on. Hang on a minute. Now who's behind the times? If you don't think girls can be wankers, my friend, you are very much mistaken. <laughs> I mean it's it's at least phallic adjacent, <laughs> at the very least. Yeah, it's phallic adjacent, but I've called girls wankers before. <laughs> Dude, 
I, my insults are twenty first century. I will call I'll call my wife a wanker all the time. Like I don't care. How, how very progressive of you, Dan? I am very progressive, and she called um, like she'll call me a fanny and stuff like that. Like it's not. <laughs> You know, that's, that's a good one. I should have had Fanny on my list. Yes. Oh my God, we should have had Fanny. That's... But then you see, yeah, again, that's another classic British thing: is that Fanny means vagina, not bum. Whereas in America, it means bottom. So the I, first I, time I... I saw a show and somebody said, "Oh, I've been spanked on the Fanny," I was like, "What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Stead young? Yeah, someone's smacking you on the vagina. Why? I've been spanked on the Fanny bottom. all day. <laughs> exactly. You know, like what? All right. What have you got? With Fanny being left at the wayside, my number two is a Easter Island head. <laughs> That's amazing. If you're if you're familiar with the Easter Island heads, Dan, oh, uh, you'll, you'll know they are they're heads made of stone. Don't have any hands, don't have any legs, so they can't skate. And they've got no hands and no skill. You're an Easter Island head. You're ba- you're basically useless. Eric Branson is an Easter Island head. <laughs> <laughs> Easter Island Eric. <laughs> God. Eric <laughs> Branson, you Easter Island head. That's amazing. I feel as though as well is that the way the Easter Island heads look as well, they look as though they have that furrowed, complete, not scowl, like that overhanging brow that Neanderthals have, that they're just completely thick and dense. I mean, I was, it's a bit of a one step further than a knuckle dragger. Like a knuckle dragger has like the yes. ability, you know, there there is an element of hunting and gathering with a knuckle dragger. They can at least walk it, upright somewhat. Yeah, and an Easter Island head is is ultimately useless in every ah. way, shape, and form. It's fabulous. That's fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. What, number what's two. your number two, Dan? Is it? Yeah, is it number two. Uh, I, about penises. For, it, no, it's the complete and absolute opposite. Will number two. We use this word all the time. Americans don't get it, and they hate it, and they think it's the worst word. Number mm. two, you couldn't. I can't I, believe I just... you've done this. I can't believe you've done this. Why? <laughs> well, I'll go, I'll go with my description anyway. Born, of course, out of the a slang name for a female appendage, but to now it mean to me now when I say you couldn't, I'm not thinking of a vagina. It reminds me of so much more. It means to me now so much more. As an Englishman. The use of this word doesn't even relate to vaginas anymore. It's it's sort of transcended to a higher plane of existence in some way. <laughs> it's, it's evolved it's, it's, as a, as a verbiage. Yeah, if if you said to me now, like you had to draw a cunt, I would draw some despicable-looking, monstrous creature type thing covered in like boils and there's pus coming out of it, and it's just the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. That's that's what this word has become to me. On the flip side, though, of course. Said in the right way, it's a term of endearment, and we in the north will use it as a as a laughter piece frequently. Like, oh my god, he's such a funny cunt. I mean, if I was going to draw the c word, Dan, I'd draw a man by the name of Jacob Rees Mogg. But that's just me. Oh, fabulous! That is just me. Well done, Will. Fantastic political political commentary here on Two Bits One Puck. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very very timely indeed. Um, very timely indeed. I'm a, I'm a bit gobsmacked by that uh, by that George story. Not gonna lie. Oh mate, my jaw hit floor, the floor. That is something else, isn't it? Because the second swear word was quite funny because we were driving back from Chester, which is this little kind of city near where we live, and we had the window open, and she was sat in the back, and she said, "Can you close the window? I'm pissing freezing." 
<laughs> which is again, I, I try not to, I try not to laugh when she swears, but it's so funny. It is so funny because by the time she gets to, well, by the time she gets to high school, she'll be swearing like the rest of us because that's just how we are. Like you know, we try not to, but what can you do? It's just just how it happens. Just how it happens. So there we go. Well, you're number one. My number one. I hadn't strictly done this in um in sort of any any ascending order, but I suppose it's, oh, okay. it's worked out quite well. My number one is chocolate jock, or chocolate jock strap, to imply that someone is as useful as a chocolate jock strap. It was also previously used for the short-lived Braveheart Easter eggs, but now I've repurposed it. Um, <laughs> so, Cody McLeod, you're a chocolate jock strap. You're about as useful as a chocolate jock strap. You're about as useful Indeed. as a soluble life jacket. That's another one I like. <coughs> any, now, any, one. any sort of as useful as will, uh, will do. Yeah, me. they're always good. Yeah, they're always good, those, aren't they? My number one is not even that bad compared to the things I've just said. But I realised I, I went for consistency and volume. It's not even my favourite, but I it is my most productive. And I use this way more than I ever realised because I asked my wife for help on this. And I said, you know, when I'm getting angry at people, what do I say? And she said, oh, you say this all the time. You don't even realise you're saying it. I use all the time, you absolute shithouse. All the time. I, I didn't even realise. Shithouse. It's one of the simple really ones. Aussie. I know. It's one of the simple ones as well. The, again, the general the general feeling of this is, is I imagine you, the person insulting, you are such an annoying person that you're just a house that's full of shit. Not only that, but you are the absolute. You're a house that's full of shit to the, to the greatest possible degree. So, yeah, number one. You absolute shit house. Who knew? A surprise, so, I think. So would that be a, a house full of shit or um, made of shit? It's it's a house full of... So the house has been built well, but they're so bad, they've infested it so badly, it's now not livable because it's full of shit. Nice. That's, that's good. I, th- I think we've covered all the bases there, really, haven't we? Hello. Jen, Jen hi. hello. How are you doing? I have a little bit of a head cold, so I'm sorry if I sound a little rough at times. Oh, crikey, don't apologise for that. Sorry for dragging you out of, I assume, the sofa with a nice blanket and a bit of Netflix. Actually, I am watching a classic movie channel, and um, Cary Grant is on, so I'm I'm good. <laughs> a fantastic choice, yeah. You've you found, found a nice little bit of reprieve, like, right, I'll get away from the telly for a minute before, I don't yeah. know, God with the Wind comes on or something like that. <laughs> To be fair, I think if I was feeling ill, Cary Grant would cheer me up as well, actually. <laughs> His movies always have the best dialogue. It's so true. It's so true. There's two guys in Chicago that I've I've done their podcast before and I've gone on to talk about like, you know, hockey movies or whatever. And I've gotten to the point now where I just refer to them as my two best a-holes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a hell of a title to have. Someone's the best <laughs> arsehole. <laughs> Which sounds a lot worse when I say it with my accent. <laughs> to derail this conversation before we even begin, sorry, Dad, I'm just, I'm just going to crack on if that's all right with you. Yeah, of course, of course. Pibagual, however you pronounce it, do forgive me, swear words. Yeah. The fact that you differentiated between those and traditional French swear words would indicate that you have an idea of the differences. Do you, Could you give us a, a crash course in, oh, in, uh, in the differences? First, you have to have a little history lesson, and I'm sorry, but that's just how it is. How um, how dare I was not expecting any history in this conversation whatsoever, <laughs> Jen. You are disappointing me already. Yeah, you're like, oh god, she knows all of this. Really, does she have a life? The answer is no. Um, 
it is Wikipedia with a Twitter account, and that's what we love you for. Oh, thanks. Quebec traditionally is an intensely Catholic province from the beginning. Intensely Catholic. And they've gotten away from that. But the way to rebel in, in Quebec for the longest time was to rebel against the church. Mm-hmm. Because they were the authority, the daily authority. They were, you know, they were part of the government. It was it was just the authority. So in Quebec, to swear is to use church-related words or religion, uh, religious item words. So you can say kalis, which is a chalice, like the the one they use for communion. Okay. That, that's what, and a very, very common thing to say in Quebec is uh, je me kalis, which means I don't give a shit. So, um, so literally translated, would that be uh, I don't respect the chalice or something like that? Yeah, like, like I don't, I don't care about the chalice. I don't have the chalices. Jemen, <sighs> chalice. Yeah, but that's that's a large part of what the Richard riot was um, was about. Was not only pushing back against what they saw as unfair treatment of their their star player, um, the rocket, but it was also a pushback against the sort of resentment that they had. Uh, against the English-speaking companies that were running things, and you know Clarence Campbell, and and just this this sort of perception that they were constantly being held down, and, and so you know there's a lot of very political aspects to it. And I, I tweeted about it the other day that I think it was Thursday that a lawyer had filed a complaint against Saku Koivu because he wasn't, quote, serving the uh, French-speaking population of of uh, Quebec because they do have a commission there and uh, that makes sure that, you know, French, French-speaking French now has a priority, the French language now has a priority over English in signage mm-hmm. and not. So his argument was that because Saku Koivu spoke English but not French, this meant that he was not fit to be... I don't know quite what he was trying to say, but he was trying to argue that that because he didn't speak French, he shouldn't be the face of the Habs franchise, or he shouldn't be, you know. It was it, it's just it sort of reached these really ridiculous um, proportions in the two thousands. The thing I pride myself on is that I am not going to toe the NHL party line mm-hmm. um, when it comes to history. So I loathe using the term original six i'll call them the surviving six but i hate calling them the original six because they aren't they aren't original uh it's it's a false term it's a marketing term and it has messed up the the perception of the league's history to the point where people have no idea that there were actually two ottawa senators franchises or that st louis had a franchise before uh the blues we we need to respect the st louis eagles we really do we do, because they're they're a part of the the league. They're part of the league's history, and I think it's unfair to sort of black out these sections of history that aren't useful to your marketing plan. Do you feel that with your desire to to not tow the company line, we could almost call you hockey's Indiana Jones? Would would that be a fair? <laughs> um, would that be a fair comparison? Maybe <laughs> there are a couple other people who probably deserve that a little more than I do, um, but. I just go around unearthing the stories that I find interesting and passing them along. Carolina Hurricanes, well, we've mentioned them earlier in the season when they were clapping and then jumping into the uh, into the glass there. And I said I wanted more from it. 
I wanted it to be. You know, you can't just do that every time. I want to see different things. This week they debuted Duck Duck Goose. Are you violently against this, Will? Like some people are. I'm a. I'm not violently against it, but as the last time we um we spoke about it, Dan, like it does let mine mine Berkey out a little bit. <laughs> oh no! I, I d- knew it. Not not that I have any problem with them doing it strictly. I just think it's a bit lame. Like I don't know. It's just like. I can't, I can't help it. Whenever I watch them do one of these post-win celebrations, there is just part of me that's like, oh, mate, it's just a bit... I don't know, it's just sad. Like, I don't think it brings disrespect <laughs> upon the game of hockey or I don't think they're embarrassing their wives and their fathers or any nonsense like that. It's just like... <laughs> they're dead mothers. I'm, I'm just a little bit glad that my team aren't doing it because, yeah, it's just a bit like, oh, mate, who knows fucking losers. The thing is, though... For years and years, people, well, still, people just didn't want to go to Hurricanes games. How else are you going to get them into the building? you got mate, to do something. Mate, if, if playing Duck Duck Goose after a win has been the difference between getting people in or not into your building to watch your hockey games, it's fucking over, mate. Pack it, <laughs> pack it up, move to Quebec, call it a day. Like, if you need to play, that's not minting new hockey fans, that's minting new fans of Duck Duck Goose. Do you know what I hope though? I hope they fucking win the cup and then play kiss chase around the cup, and then fucking Svechnikov and Sebastian Aho can French kiss each other at centre ice. Let's watch two fucking men get off with each other. Jesus Christ! I'm oh no, fuck it. Very, they can um... play. They can play soggy biscuit. That's what they can play. How about that? No. <laughs> not not about that. Is? Personally, yeah, of course I know what soggy biscuit is. But yeah. <laughs> should we explain to the people? Will? I'll let you explain. I, d- I, d- I, d- I do not think we should. <laughs> I do not think we should at all. Google it if you want to. Uh, if you want to find out what that is. No, I'm going to explain it. I'm on a roll. I'm going to explain it. Will <laughs> please, <laughs> for the love of God. You know how they need to do it, don't you? They start at each end of the ice and just skate towards each other slowly, doing the clap. And then as they get to centre ice, they just French kiss. And yeah, I agree. I can now see that like, Justin Williams in the background hoisting the cup as everyone cheers. I feel like this is descending in some weird. Well, not weird, but just a fantasy of yours, Dan. Which I fair play to you. Do you know what it is? When I when I see people, not you obviously, because you're just you you're not annoyed about it because it's disrespecting. You're just like, oh, I just think it's a bit a bit cringy. I just want I just want the other people involved to just go so far the other way, just to really fuck them off. I'm sure that's why they're doing it now. I'm sure they're doing it for that reason, just to piss off all the old timers. No, 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 no. It's like, hilarious. If if they just start like getting off of each other, that's not going to piss Berkey off because Berkey's massive in the LGBTQ plus community now. All right, this is going to take it on a completely, completely different. Um... Oh, by the way, don't forget as well. I'm still going to explain soggy biscuit. No, no, you're not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna filibuster until we have to go to bed. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast, the podcast is 17 hours long. So soggy biscuit, right? What are you doing? <sighs> I'm not fucking having this. <laughs> you're not having it. Come on, I really want to do it. No, we can't. We, we can't. Like, no. No, we're not. We're not fifteen anymore, Dan. Like we can't just talk about soggy biscuit on a hockey podcast. Like there's, there's. <laughs> okay, this is the line, isn't it's, it? This is the it's, line. Especially with um the the relatively pun heavy title of this podcast already. <laughs> I feel I feel there's only so many um references right. to sex acts we can fit into one show and we already okay, naturally okay. hit our quota a little bit it's like um all right it's like on your phone yeah you have a look at your storage on your phone and it's like i oh, say so you've got 32 gigs 
worth of storage on your phone, but then nine gig of it is taken up by your your operating system. That's okay. like the, our allowance <laughs> for particularly lewd jokes is already naturally filled by by the title of the our podcast. Name. Yeah, by our name. Which still, what I tell people, is um, a cause for, for severe groaning, which is <laughs> the only reason we did it in the first place. Yeah, it was. We thought it'd stand out. As well said then, you can Google Soggy Biscuit. I won't explain it, because I'm mad enough to admit when I'm wrong, and you do have a point there. I think there's a line that we can't cross, and that's probably it, I think. We've reached it. Soggy Biscuit, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hey, how's it going? I'm fine. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's been quite the day. I started off by wiping out on an electric bike. Oh. But now it's ending up with uh, talking to somebody about hockey in Great Britain. So that's pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, see, they started off bad and it's just got gradually worse then. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's deteriorated to the point where I'm on the phone with you. Okay. Exactly. I know. Just quickly going back to Montreal, why is it? I didn't realize it was there was a large immigrant population from all over the world that kind of landed in Montreal. Do you know why that is? Uh, I would not have expertise in that, but um, I think I mean we're relative, like we're East Coast, right? So it's either you're going to land in New in New York City, or oh, then you, you yeah. and then or you land in the Maritimes, uh, sort of like um, the Eastern uh, Seaboard provinces in um, in Canada. But there's I mean unless you're going to f- catch lobsters for a living there's not really much you could have done there i guess when the yeah whole thing came so the biggest city actually on the uh, in in canada when my parents immigrated was montreal toronto was second ah okay and okay. Uh, what ended up happening was that we have this whole like weird quasi xenophobic I don't know. It's, it. I think it stems down to a class war, but the the separation uh, issue with Quebec and the rest of Canada. Okay. And when that whole thing happened in the late '60s, '70s, and then into the '80s, a lot of the money, which was held by English blokes, moved over to Toronto. So all the head offices moved over there, and uh, then Toronto just became a boom town. Ah, so is that does that explain yeah. some of the rivalry be- between Montreal and Toronto? Then? Yeah, Toronto's money. To right. Montreal. Okay. Okay. Toronto is like the sellout city. <laughs> ah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I never. This is great. This is one of the reasons why. Yeah. Will and I wanted to have people on and, who are fans from these areas because we were like, well, we don't really know these things, like the intricacies of sort of intercity rivalries and stuff like that. Right. I mean, and I'm I'm no historian, but I mean, I've lived here and. You know, just like the attitudes of, you know, the people that I hang out with. And I mean, it's really uh, there was quite this. Uh, I mean, there was a book written called The Two Solitudes about the two like the English and French community. And there's I, I find that there like I, I left Montreal for uh, quite a number of years to go do um, uh, postgraduate studies in um, Ontario, like outside of Toronto. Yeah. And uh, so. That was, I guess, between like 2002 and 2010. And then when I came back, I found that Montreal was a lot chiller in terms of like the attitudes towards language. So I think over like because there was another separation debate sort of referendum happening in 1995. And there was like uh, when it didn't win, the separatist side blamed um, money and the ethnic vote. So it got really <laughs> it was just really nice. a mess. And so it's, it was depressing to live in, in Montreal in those times. 
And uh, so, but then when I came back, I think the this sort of quote unquote millennial generation doesn't give as much of a shit about that as the older generations did. Because I think what the whole um, English and French thing was that like the the English had them like back in the day, like in the 30s and 40s or whatever, when when Montreal was becoming this um, sort of industrial uh, hub or whatever. You have the English own own the factories and lived on the hill in what's called the neighborhood's called Westmount. And it's like because Montreal's kind of like it's on an island and then there's like a hill in the middle of it. Okay. We call it the mountain, but it's not a mountain. Okay. <laughs> so there's this hill and there's big nice houses up there where all the English, you know, factory owners lived. And then down in the by the river in these little shanty towns, which is was where the French people lived and worked. And Irish, too. Irish were also not high on the totem pole. Yes. So you see the Irish and French getting along quite well. And I guess the Catholic thing works, too. The English are Protestant. So there's a lot of crazy things going on. Like, it's more complicated than just the language. And I think, uh, I think like, sort of these demagogues come up and bring up that, you know, the, the, the French culture is in jeopardy because the language. And they just use it as, a, like, a prop, like, oh, I don't, okay. you know, yeah, like okay. language really isn't the issue. I mean, to me, and I had this argument with somebody on Twitter yesterday and I got to stop doing this, <laughs> but, but like language is to communicate. And I've worked in English and French universities and English and French health uh, institutions. Right. Yeah. And I mean, all you have to do is be able to communicate ideas to people and whether it's in English or in French, if people can understand you, you get through the day. Right. And that doesn't mean that you disparage their culture or anything. And, and a culture can survive uh, regardless of what language people are speaking around you. You know, and I, I really I encourage people to promote French culture because it's interesting and it's got a lot of, you know, things to give the world culturally in terms of that whole um, English French divide. I think it stemmed from that economic inequality that was happening and then a lot of that um got shifted over to toronto and then right now there's a whole lot of like i mean west mound is uh, you know mostly owned by chinese businessmen that don't even live there <laughs> so, oh, okay. Okay. so yeah. i mean you know the world is changing and um and i think like a lot of these these this like r this right-wing kind of popularism wants to pretend that the world isn't changing <laughs> Yeah, that, like things are the same and it's like it's us against them. And then unfortunately, that's what's coming up again. I can see that coming up again over here with our latest government and, uh, and all of this. Uh, the provincial government is a populist government. And in the federal election, most of Quebec was swept by um, by a party that that is there to, quote unquote, promote Quebec's interests within Canada, which basically means they're preparing for a separation. So anyway, it's, it's ridiculous. But the Montreal Canadians are a unifying factor with all that, like English and French. We all love them. So that's another thing that makes uh, the, the Canadians something more than just a team. Bennington especially, the Blues. Fucking up. Do you know, around Christmas, the Blues were last place. Last Crazy. And now they're in a comfortable, comfortable wildcard spot. Off the back of, what is he, 9 1 and 1? 10 1 and 1? Something like that. Something like that. Something, and he's got something like a crazy. 9.25 save percentage or something, which yeah, is like something or, this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's on a 6 or 7, 6 or 7 and a real win streak, playing really well. And then Carter Hart as well. I mean, there's a couple of games he's kind of been left out to dry, but 
Doing amazing. I think again, round nine twenty five, twenty six, something like that already. Eleven, six and one. Um isn't, before he isn't, lost the pens he go on. I was I was gonna say, isn't Jordan Biddington like twenty eight or something like that? Like, something ridiculous, isn't it? He's he's he's, he's just, older he's, than you think. Significantly yeah, yeah, older totally. than Carter Hart. I read wasn't it Jordan Binnington like he was he just been brought in as a backup to somebody else just for one game or something and then that guy got injured so like alright off you go then you fucking have a game off you go, <laughs> and he was so. amazing and he went huh. this I, is it though Will this, this is, is the loser winning the cup they've got their hot goalie <laughs> imagine <laughs> Im- like, I'm, I'm not going to say it's not going to happen but mate imagine just Jesus. imagine to go from being written off like right this is it for the Blues see you later it's over to I mean it's not going to happen but imagine but imagine I know and we just we just wrote them off at Christmas they were dead last I mean the amazing thing is now now they're in, what, now they're in the playoffs what a crazy spot, thing sure to do stop. to, to well, rate off the team in dead last at Christmas <laughs> well no but it was crazy because of where they are and obviously it was crazy because of where they are now but I think it's interesting that now they're in a the playoff spot they're probably going to start selling off their top assets again like they, like they always do for some reason <laughs> No, but that's, going for it. I was thinking about it earlier today. Like that's a smart thing to do. What what um, St. Louis did with Statsny last year is the smartest thing to do. Like Dougie Armstrong saw like right, it's not going to work. Yeah, we're not probably not going to win the cup this year. We might as well get something for Statsny, and then if we make the playoffs, great. If we don't, whatever. They end up making the playoffs anyway after selling. And it's just just a genius thing to do. They should sell again this year. I think. And that's why Columbus no, should sell this. you're crazy. Year. What do you mean about crazy? You got, at some point, you've got to go for it. At some point, you've got to yeah. say, all right, fuck it. This year, we're going to fucking really make an effort. And they're on such a hot streak right now. You've got to go for it. Yeah, at some point, you have to say you have to go for it. But not the year that you're bloody dead last at Christmas. No, but I mean... Did, did we now, not say about an hour ago... To... Did we not say about an hour ago that they were shit for half the season... They've been good for a bit, and they're probably going to end up shit in the last thirty games. Yeah, but that's not a guarantee. We're saying there's a all right. Yeah, there's a chance they could fall off the face of the earth. There's a chance any team can fall off the face of the earth. It's hockey. That's what happens in hockey. Teams suddenly just start playing shit. Other teams suddenly just start playing well. No, but that's the Blues have just suddenly started getting very good at the right time. The Blues wouldn't be falling off the face of the earth. They were already off the face of the earth. They've gotten about two fingertips back on the face of the earth, and then they'd just be falling back off. It's not like. It's not like I've gone from first in the league. Like It's not like Tampa suddenly end up outside of a playoff spot. So you're saying that a team that is on this kind of hot streak, even if, once you trade deadline, 11 days away, say they've got another three games, they win those next three games, and they're co- they're completely comfortable in a wild card spot. You just sell off again? Like, no. Might as well. This, if... What if the Penguins... Like the Penguins were their first cup under Sullivan. This is what they did. They just got in. They just got in. Not under the buzzer, but they just got in and were like, right, shit, we're going to ride this out, let's go. No, they weren't that bad, though. I know they weren't that bad, and I get it, they've got Crosby and Malkin, and you're never really out of it when you've got those two players, but you don't know, you never you, know. You, you can't yourself a minute every ago, season. They were last in the NHL. Last. I get it, but now they're not. Now they're not. We're talking about now. Right now. Like They are one of the hottest teams in hockey right now. They've got a goalie who's on fire. I'm not saying he's going to be like this the whole way. 
But at some point, you can't get to the deadline again and say, yeah, we'll sell this guy. Fuck it. Yeah, we'll sell this guy. Who cares? We're not making it again. Pfft, what's the point? You can't do that. You've got, at some point, you've got to say, all right, this year, we're going to make a couple of moves and try and do something. What, um, As we seem to be on a streak at the moment. So so what about the Ducks then? Yeah, but the Ducks should sell. They're, they're on such why? a massive downturn. But they're, because they're on such a massive downturn. For, for the last one game, they're the hottest team in hockey. They've got a goalie who can't be stopped. He's never conceded well, a goal in his a very, NHL career. You're a very smart man, and I expect better trolls from you if you're going to try, okay? <laughs> that's a terrible... I'm actually insulted you attempted to troll me with that. Well, with that... a team that's 1-0-0 in their last one, considering <laughs> they're 3-15-4 in their last 22. <laughs> that's... That is my protest of your your argument for the Blues. Like, no. Like, next you're going to tell me that the, the fucking Flyers should be buying at the deadline. Yeah, but so every time the Blues get into a playoff spot, they just, in the wild card... Are, so if the Blues are in the wild card spot every year around Feb, they should just sell. Because clearly they're not going to win it. No. no. Last, last year, when they <laughs> sold Statsney, that was just a quite smartest man in the room sort of thing from Armstrong. This year, they're abjectly bad. They've had a bad season. Just because they've slumped into a wildcard spot with, again, 30, not 13, not 3, 30 games to go, doesn't mean they should suddenly start fucking, like, buying. Like, you've got to think I like of a long the idea term. That, I like the idea that a bad season in your mind is up until around Christmas. And that's it. Just after that, forget it. No. Even if you even if you then win a fuck ton of games and get into the playoff spots at the deadline, you should just keep going. Yeah, but at Christmas we were last, so forget it. Last, no that's the no thing. Way. It's not like they were five points out at Christmas. It's not like they were just on the edge. They were last out of thirty-one teams. Last. <laughs> I can't believe we disagree over this. You're insane. <laughs> at some point, you've got to you've got to try. At some point. What are you saying yeah, to your fans yeah. if for the third or fourth year in a row you sell off one of your better players because you're like, well, we're not going to do it again. But what, like, fuck's sake. One of your better players, who have they got as RFAs this year? Fucking Jay Bomeister. I know, but there was, there was rumours going saying around they around trade Christmas off when they were bad. I know, but there was rumours going around around Christmas when they were bad that they're like, okay, people are up, like we can, we're offering people out. What are you going to give us? Because, you know, we're terrible. And at the time, fine, I didn't hate that. At the time, they were bad. If you suddenly put a run together in two months and get hot, get comfortable, pardon me, start playing well together, something happens, dude, you've got to try and just harness that and just ride it out. Because how many teams have we seen do this? How many teams every year are like, there's no way they're going to win it? Dude, last year, <laughs> like I say this every other week, nobody predicted that. All the fancy stats, guys. You can have all the fucking analytics in the world. The only person who predicted the fucking caps and fucking knights was a man with a coin. That was the only person I saw predict that final. Nobody else predicted it. The problem with that comparison is, though, Dan, they were both strong regular season teams all the way through. What we were saying about the knights all the way through was, oh, there's no way they're going to continue being as good as they were it's not like they started off the season and up to Christmas like 31st and then suddenly surged in they were good from the get go and the Caps had a good regular season as they always do and then just so happened to carry on into the postseason. they've not gone from just... being the worst team in the league to scraping into a wildcard playoff wildcard spot and then suddenly saying oh well they're probably going to win the cup now alright 
I can't believe this. I can't believe this discussion. I, <laughs> I, can't, can't, I can't believe it Jordan Bennington. <laughs> Jordan Bennington has got ended up on this, but it has. And I'll tell you something else, Will. So shut up. Right. You can't say to me, if a team is in last place in December, okay, around Christmas, not even early December, around Christmas, and there's, f- all right, halfway, 41 games left. If they win, so if they then win 35 games out of those 41 and they make it to the playoffs, even if they're not the first place team, I get it. To, I get it's an insane. I get it's an insane example. I get that. Okay, I'm not saying that, but whatever. Pick a pick a number. If if a team suddenly if a team wins 30 out of those 41 games and makes it into the postseason, maybe not even as the as the top team, they may be the third or the second team. You're not then thinking, hang on a minute, this team's fucking on a roll. Like we need to look out for this team because they're suddenly playing, but they've suddenly got something. You can't then get to the playoffs and say, yeah, but they were last at Christmas. Who cares? That was fucking like four months ago. Who gives a shit? <laughs> they're in it now. You're in it now. But what, what, what matters is right now. We're talking about buying or selling at the trade deadline and the trade deadline is only two months after Christmas. At the point where we get to the trade deadline, they will still have spent more of the season being abjectly terrible than they will have being on some hot streak. I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy to just, even if your team's in the playoffs at the deadline, to just sell off your assets again. Only if you have spent the majority of the season as the worst or one of the five worst teams in hockey. If you're on the bubble for the whole thing and then you get in, I mean, I still think you shouldn't necessarily buy, but I wouldn't say, yeah, sell off. <laughs> the only team Will thinks can trade at the deadline this year is Tampa. That's it. Nobody else. <laughs> no, no, not just Tampa. Tampa and Winnipeg. Yeah, everyone, Tampa else, and everyone else should it. send all their UFAs to Tampa and Winnipeg. <laughs> Sign in. I'll stop complaining now that we've got uh, a celebrity on the chat. There we go. <laughs> Good man. Okay, so how do you balance your life now with everything you do with Wave Intel and the versus model and all that kind of thing with having a family? Because me and Will struggle sometimes with having a family, and now we're starting this podcast from scratch. So our wives have kind of got used to living a certain way with us, and now we have to say, "Well, I'm sorry, I've got to do this, or I've got to do this for the show." How do you sort of balance that out? That's a good question, man. I was going to ask you guys that, but. (laughs) <laughs> I, I just don't think it's balance, man. There's no such thing as balance. It's like uh, I I kind of try to just do everything on the periphery, right? If I can do something at 11 o'clock at night, I do it at 11 o'clock at night. If I can call in sick one day at work and I get a bunch of shit done, that's it. It's like I, I try not to, as you guys probably know, do not interfere with the family, right? It's like yeah, don't, yeah. you have to keep them happy. And uh, I think all my other stuff has suffered, like the Wave Intel and, and my stuff. Like, I, there's so much more I'd love to do. I just just can't do it, right? But, it's just a reality of life, isn't it? You've got, uh, yeah. like, as cheesy as it is, family does come first and everything else, especially anything hockey-related, is, is extra, is fun. It's, it's, you know, playing with your toys sort of thing. So if you start sacrificing your family for the sake of having fun, I don't think you're, uh, you're doing right by then. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you guys, what you guys, uh, how you deal with it, but uh, my wife and I, we call certain times of the day like red zone, right? Between 6.30 yeah, yeah. or, or, you know, 6.30 and 9 o'clock in the morning is like the red zone. You, you can't, 
and in between, you know, like three, three thirty for us picking up kids at the school and, and getting dinner and all that kind of stuff between then and bedtime, which is now stretched out for us to like eight o'clock is like red zone. We can't do <laughs> nobody's sitting down. Nobody's having a massage. Nobody's yeah. playing Tetris, right? <laughs> like if you do that, you're just going to get a punch in the face, right? So, <laughs> so those zones, I'm like, I just block those out. Can't, can't do it. Just got to be on, on your feet. You guys are doing it. I think it's awesome. And I mean, thank you, man. Thank you. I mean, all we do is chat breeze once a week and then send it out. You're doing stuff that's going to sit there and be more, uh, a bit more current and a bit more, a bit more interactive. Yeah, I do a lot of it on the on the on the toilet. Tell you the truth, right? <laughs> like I set up, <laughs> set up these, <laughs> like this whole analytical world, right? Is awesome, uh, but it takes a lot of work to look at the the data. So yeah. what I've what I've the goal that I tried to do was make a couple tools for me. Like I, originally, I didn't even make them to put out in the world. I wanted to do it for myself, right? So that I so that I didn't have to flip from one website to the other and a, a different database and all this kind of stuff or a different sheet of. Uh, uh, of information so I put it all in one so that I can actually have it on my phone whether I'm on the bus or you know in the loo or something like that and I can quickly look up something if somebody gets traded I can look up at my data and and I can quickly get it out on Twitter or, or make a comment about it and so that that has really helped me to kind of have that that build up front to be a little bit more nimble now that was one of my questions is how does how do you get the how does the data get to you are you literally just scrolling through websites looking for all the data you can find and putting it on yourself or do you have like a team or how does it work uh well i think uh well i steal it right i steal the data from good people no i, I just it, it's a common practice right like scraping you probably heard of scraping uh, websites now yeah yeah uh, so i'm not overly technical I, I i do as much as i can kind of thing i'm just kind of like a uh almost like a beginner when it comes to that but I just scrape the data from from certain websites. One of them is uh, that I like the best is uh, Natural Stat Trick, and yeah, and then yeah, yeah. Once I have it in my own database, I I can do whatever I want with it, right? And today's technology is pretty simple. Like, I wake up in the morning and I, I click a couple buttons and everything refreshes, and all my tools are are up to date. Ah, oh, okay, okay. I, th- I imagine that there was. I, I thought you'd have sort of like interns or something like that, sort of sending you messages <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning, for like at what our time, three o'clock at like I don't know midnight for like a West Coast game or something. Saying, "Oh, I've just seen this happen. You need to update this spreadsheet or something." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I first started my website and I started tweeting and stuff, that's what I did. I always said we, and I always pretended I had interns and stuff like that. I was having a lot of fun with that, but but the truth is, it's just me. I've got some good friends that. Uh, do a lot of data work and that kind of stuff, and they help me out a little bit here and there. And my wife is a, a an epidemiologist, so she's basically a data scientist. Okay. So I I pick her brain on how to do a couple things here and there. So I thought we should try and come up with a couple of ideas about Valentine's Day cards that anybody involved in hockey could send to anybody else. So I believe you have two, Will, and I have three. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so I'll go first. My Valentine's Day card, it's a picture of an arse, obviously, and on, on the front do. of the card, as you do, on the front of the card, and then on the inside of the card, it says, can you at least lube up this time? And that's from Edmonton Oilers fans to the management. See, I've been, I've been very fortunate, Dan, as um, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've actually found genuine Valentines um, that have been... Yeah. Well, you, you call me the East Anglian Elliot Freeman, and the only way that I've been able to sort of 
employ my powers is to find this found footage, if you will, of, uh, of NHL okay. Valentine's. Um, the first came to me in a card. Uh, it was a blank card. I think it was due to be printed on the front with some sort of motif or, or image to signify love. But uh, inside it was inscripted as such. Dear Leo, I've had the sweetest chocolates and ate every last speck. But nothing tastes as sweet as your thick Estonian neck. Yours, <laughs> Brad. Oh, that's lovely. That's Is lovely. it a beautiful, beautiful? I mean, a little bit erotic for me, but um, a nice sentiment nonetheless. My next card, uh, it's a picture of the Anaheim Ducks logo on the front with <laughs> the standings from two months ago, with them being fifth in the Western Conference. Then inside is the standings now, with them being last in the West. And the caption is, we can't wait to go down on you. <laughs> I, think that's, uh, I think that's very sweet. That is, that is vulgar, if you ask me. Oh, well, okay. You know, apples and oranges, whatever. I, that's just me. Go on. Um, the, this yeah. other one is a bit of an odd one, because it was, it was more of like a flyer. Um, and, and actually, a lot of people <laughs> sent me photos of, uh, of this flyer. So it, it's bloody everywhere. Like this is quite a quite a sort of um, you know blanket Valentine it would appear and 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 the fire reads as such it, it's entitled Valentine's Party um, a subtitle of of all welcome uh, one billion dollar entry fee forever hungry Gary <laughs> which is just a bit odd if you ask me forever just hungry just, just a bit strange <laughs> no idea. I did my last one and my favourite one. Um, on the front of the card is the Ottawa Senators logo. So you know it's going to be good. And there's a little bit of writing on the front that says, You always have my heart. And on the inside is a picture of Eugene Melnick saying, Because I stole it. And I thought, uh, What a lovely a lovely message there for Valentine's Day. <laughs> so wait, <laughs> like that is, is, that, is that a Valentine thing? Eugene is sending himself and signing it from the people that he steals organs from. Yeah, he's a very lonely man. There's no one in that front office anymore, is it? It's just him and it's just him and Dorian <laughs> bumming around. So he just has to send himself cards. Mark covers all things Toronto for Maple Leafs Hot Stove, with a heavy focus on the Marlies and the rest of the AHL. Thanks for coming on, Mark. How are you getting on? Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've had a nice break in the summer, and I'm ready to get going now. Thanks for coming on, Mark. How are you getting on? Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've had a nice break in the summer, and I'm ready to get going now. Just everything around the whole circus that, that was that weekend, it was, it was brilliantly done. Now, I didn't go to the the games they had in London in 2007, which was Anaheim against the Kings, I want to say. Um, Sounds, I'll believe you. Yeah, something like that. I can't remember now off the top of my head, but at, um, it was in 2007, and I've been told it was it was poorly run. I, rem- I remember the tickets being like stupid money. They were extortionate, which was why I didn't attend. But the whole event was a bit of a, a letdown. The, the hockey was good, but it just wasn't very well promoted. You know, it, they, you know, it didn't really get into the national press. It was just, it was, you know, we're here because you know this team's owner like owns the. Uh, uh, the O2 Arena, and yeah, we'll come and play a couple of games. And you know what the hell is kind of typical NHL lackadaisical approach to anything, really. Um, but yeah, that, I think that would be the thing. You know, come over here, 
whether it's exhibition games or whatever, bring two or three teams. I think you'd have to make them storied franchises. Ideally, sort of one of the um, original six would be great. Yeah, just make a really big thing out of it and sort of promote the game. And then once you've done that, hopefully people then would, you know, we have hockey in this country. You can go and see one of the one of the better teams that we have. And I think that's a route into it, as well as making it sort of cheap, maybe slightly cheaper online. But, you know, I could go on, you know, talking about the, the TV deal we have here and stuff like that. But I think they just, it's not a sport that's in the forefront of people's minds. And unless you actually shove it in people's faces almost i don't see how you're going to get more people involved in hockey that don't live in cardiff or sheffield you know or nottingham that have a team on their doorstep i think that's my short answer and that is a short answer for me let's talk about our boy kirky shall we um i could <laughs> i could talk for hours about Liam kirk so go for it how so how did you feel about his first year in the ohl obviously the first half was a bit rockier than than the second half what what which side do you think is going to be the Liam Kirk that we see come out of this sophomore season? Oh, definitely the second half, uh, Liam Kirk. Um, I think there's so much that plays into someone leaving home properly for the first time. You know, right? Canada's not foreign, but it's still foreign, if, if you get what I mean. I've spent oh, a yeah. lot of time there, so it's yeah. not to me. But, you know, there's so many different ways of life. You, you know, you, you're living with a new family. Um, you know, you're traveling to all these places you never traveled to. It's just a different way of life. And he actually started off okay. First few games, he was, you know, putting up some points. But then, you know, ad- adapting to the to the different game, to different ice surface. Um, yeah, it was just all those things rolled into one. I, you know, I think, I think coming back, uh, he, he came back to the UK for Christmas. So I think he had a bit of a reset. And he did really well uh, with the GB under 20s, I think. Uh, wherever the hell they played, I think they played in Estonia. I think that was good for his confidence as well because he was just killing it in that tournament. And I just think he just adapted. Um, and I think, you know, he set the bar high now. Everything I've been reading or watching about him in the Arizona um, camps that have just started to begin, he's stepped up a level again. And, you know, I think, honestly, I think we should be really, really excited about the season, the upcoming season he's got. Um I'll temper that by saying the Peter repeats uh, were not very good last year. And, and I think they're going to lose Merkley, who's one of their better players. Uh, I think he's going to be traded away. So I'm not quite sure how good or bad the piece are going to be this year. But I think I think Kirk's going to have a really, really big year. And I, you know, I think he might surprise a few people. Um, he's actually, he's, he's, he's sort of more of a playmaker, but he's actually started to shoot the puck a lot more. He did that in the second half of the season. Uh, which is why he went on that goal-scoring streak. I don't have the um, facts and figures in front of me, but yeah, he was he was scoring for fun in the second half of the year. Do you think he feels any pressure on himself, Mark? Do you think he, I don't know, do you think he kind of is putting himself under any pressure, or he kind of feels that oh my god, like I'm the kind of I'm Cocky's great white hope in the UK. Um, I've I've never met Liam actually. I, I I want to meet him. I don't want to meet him as a as a fan. I'd love to meet him in a professional capacity. But mm. I've never met him. Um, but everything I, I see and I read about him, I've, I just think he's very laid back. I think he doesn't feel any pressure. I just think he wants to be the best hockey player he, he can be. He works really, really hard. And I, I just think it's more pressure on himself rather than feeling external pressure. You know, I think, you know, um, this is just part of the journey for him. I think getting drafted was amazing. And he thought, 
all right, I've been drafted. What's the next thing I need to do? You know, and uh, he had a really good year. But people forget um, at, at the World Championships, Liam Kirk had a brilliant World Championships. I know he didn't put up points or goals, but you watch some of the better plays GB um, made in those games. There was a couple of plays against the USA where he looked, all right, he didn't look on a par with some of those USA players, but, you know, he, he looked like a step above the rest of the British players. Uh, so, you know, I think I think we need to take a step back and think, yeah, this guy's improving. But I think he's just on this upward curve. I think he's just going to go along and think, right, you know, last year was my, you know, I've set the bar now. I need to kick on again. I think all this pressure is just internal for him. Um, and whatever Peterborough is saying to him, uh, whatever Arizona is saying to him, I'm, I'm assuming they're giving him um, training advice and, and, and stuff to, to push his game on what he needs to work on. But I don't think he he feels like there's a way to British hockey on him. I mean, honestly, um, how many people are writing about him like right now? There's myself, there's Caitlin Berry. I don't really see anyone else writing about Liam, so I don't necessarily see that outside pressure. Hello, Micah. How are you going? I'm very well, mate. How are you? Uh, sorry, just one second. No, yeah, you're right. The, uh, just trying to figure out how to get the sound to go through the way I want it to go. Don't worry, we've just had well, 13 minutes now of uh, of Skype worries, so I think you're allowed <laughs> at least another 20 minutes yourself. Uh, it's okay. What are you uh, What are you trying to get him through? Uh, headphones or? Uh, no, um, I'm trying to. So the the video for Skype doesn't work very reliably. Uh, no. That's why I like to just use it like a phone. But um, yeah. But I can't seem to persuade the audio to come through. The phone output is determined to use the speakers on the phone. Because because why wouldn't it? That's oh, it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> there we are. Okay, I think so. I sort of have to pretend like I'm you know commuting or something. No, I I figured it out after all that. We, we, if you want to move to your car and use your uh, use your hands free in there, that'd be absolutely fine. <laughs> Just you know, since the neighbours already don't think I'm strange enough, I might as well sit in my car in my own driveway. <laughs> yeah, on the phone. Oh, sorry, I, I couldn't get Scott. Don't worry, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's fine. It's absolutely that... not a dodgy drug deal. Yeah, I get yeah. free Wi-Fi on planes nowadays as well. If that's easier. <laughs> Oh yes. <laughs> if we if we all just book a budget airline really quickly, uh, <laughs> and we can just get a red eye, it'd be a bit easier to do it that way. All those old Ryanair memories from when I used to live in the UK. Might be a bit of a probing question, but do you think you'd have ended up doing this kind of stats work if you had had a let's say a natural? If you, you know, say you hadn't found hockey while you were doing your your masters, your PhD, mm. sorry. Do you think, yeah, if you'd have just evolved into it like your, your average Canadian boy, for want of a better term, do you think you'd still have ended up doing the work you're doing now? I do you know. I, this is actually an extremely difficult question. I, mm. it, it strikes me, you know, every time, every not to be sort of too philosophical, but every effort I make at trying to discern, you know, which which were the crucial moments in 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 what brought me the things that are important in my life now, my job, my wife, my children, my you know, all of these things. So many of the of the sort of key details are things that you wouldn't you wouldn't believe if you sort of wrote it down in a work of fiction. You'd say, "Well, that's ridiculous." You know, a little tiny thing like that couldn't possibly have, you know, a serious effect. That's just terrible writing. And yet, you know, in retrospect, I mean, all those stories are are incredibly long, and and I won't bore you with any of them. But but it's very hard to say. Well, you know, obviously it had to be like this, or or you know, 
could well have been like that if it only not been for this other thing, you know, this dramatic crux moment. And it's not really, there's so much incident, so much curiosity, so much happenstance that seems to go into all these things. So I, I, I honestly don't know. So in the mathematics community then, Micah, is, did anybody ever, I don't want to say look down, but if, if you were more visually based than other mathematicians normally aren't, did you ever feel any pushback or, oh, this guy has to be visually based, that's a bit odd. Did you ever feel anything like that or was it all normal? Yeah, well, not exactly pushback. It was sort of, it's more like, you know, like we were telling stories a second ago about how I grew up in all these different countries and traveled around. You know, the same way that you meet somebody like that in a pub and you think, oh, one of these people who travels. You know, it's a little bit unusual. <laughs> oh, like he's a visual you, guy. Wow. Right. He's just sort of, you know, it's it, to some people, it it's interesting to other people. It's annoying to other people. Again, it's just completely irrelevant. And so, you know, you have these little communities, though, and you, you, you know, I wasn't certainly wasn't the only person who thought like that. And every now and again, you'd find someone else and say, oh, look at, at so-and-so's work. He's also doing something a little bit like you and you would find something common to talk about. Okay. But it was, you know, ostracization, definitely not. But every now and again, some people would say, oh, you know, not my thing, not my style, kind of like, you know, don't like jazz. Off the back of that, have you had or knowingly had any pushback from anybody within the NHL at any kind of level, not naming any names, Jack Johnson, but maybe, <laughs> you know, somebody within an organisation has come back to you and said, well, I think you'll find actually that these maps do look like this, but we value this player because X. Oh, yeah. In fact, just the, I shouldn't tell too many tales out of school, but just the other day I I happened to be, by coincidence, I happened to be in an NHL town and uh, and was pleasantly invited along to a little bit of training camp, which has been going on recently, the, and had an AGM call me on the carpet and say, you know, I didn't appreciate that tweet you made about so-and-so. I don't think he's nearly <laughs> that. I don't think he's nearly as bad as you said he was. And and we had, no the, and, and I wouldn't say that was hostile in any way, but it was definitely um, contentious in the sense that we had totally different opinions. And and so we, we had sort of an interesting 10 minutes there about, you know, well, you know, I wonder... I wonder if he's being affected by this. What about this? What's it going to happen when he plays with these players? What about these new players? What about this guy who left? And the and discovered that there wasn't quite as much of a distance in between us as we thought at first. But you know, but still, sometimes you say, well, that's the that's the price of doing business in a place where you still only get 280 characters. And also, you know, it's one thing to say, well, I could have been more thorough, but also, the you know, you don't you're not putting sort of the most thorough analysis into everything you put out. You know, you can put out a a simple one tweet summary of some guy and it's going to leave out a whole bunch of stuff and and when people you know when people treat those things like they are then you find that the contention is much much less and then you carry on with them for a little bit then you can you know you can get something really productive you sort of i like to say sometimes that i think of all the graphs as like that hockey viz is like a a compendium of writing prompts for journalists and the with that that idea in mind that you sort of take this as a starting point and then you discover oh there's this and then there's this and then there's this and you just all these embroidery details and they don't change the sort of the facts of it but they they stitch it into something that makes sense rather than just being sort of brightly colored blobs that sit there on the page with that conversation with the agm again not to, to push you too much for any any facts or details or anything but did you find that constructive do, do you think that had any effect on, you know, say your opinion of the player specifically, or just uh, a greater understanding of how to interpret your own data when looking at it through the, the lenses of someone in the front office? Oh, yes, absolutely. And they, you know, they, like they have in mind a particular development, the player in question wasn't particularly old. So they had a, a development path in mind, and which I don't have, you know, I don't have that kind of, that kind of investment in specific players. 
And so they they had quite specific reasons for why they thought the weaknesses I'd identified were not especially serious. And and it's not completely clear to me that I would have considered those things, you know, even if I'd had the the data available. But but I I certainly kept that in mind. And it's it's you know, you file these things away all the time because then, you know, there's always data coming available of one kind or another, and there's always a cost. The, primarily your own opportunity time cost. Somebody says, oh, I've got such and such data. You think, well, how long would it take me to integrate that into the database? How long would it take to make sense of that, to clean it, to, to adjust it, to start doing anything useful with it? And then if it's the sort of thing that's come up in three or four conversations like that, with that AGM I just mentioned, then all of a sudden you think, well, maybe I will do that. You know, go see if there's really anything there, even though it wasn't my idea in the first place. <laughs> My Nohaka news this week, I think in news that maybe no one expected to read about, uh, in Australia, a bull semen factory caught fire oh, and exploded. <laughs> yes. If you're wondering about the, if you're wondering about the wherewithals and what happens in a bull semen factory, it's it's more of a semen storage facility that also performs artificial insemination of cows. The actual semen collection process happens elsewhere, but uh, the explosions were caused by cryogenically frozen uh, cylinders of bull semen, and they overpressured due to a heat wave in Australia, forcing the lids off and the contents out at high speed. And the fire took 10 hours to extinguish, with the firefighters in what is called defensive mode to protect themselves from bull semen. Defensive mode. Defensive mode. So this bull semen factory, is it more of a processing yes. plant rather than a factory? It's it's a storage facility, more than anything oh, okay. else. But they do they do do artificial insemination there as well. But it's a storage facility, yeah. Because a lot of people have have spoken about it as a factory, and that confused me somewhat. Because you create yeah, things as in a me, factory. yes. I, I had images so, of almost like some kind of milking factory, oh, but for semen. Or like an artificial. We've we've discovered how to fabricate bulges, and yeah, I had visions of like lots of bulls being given copies of Play Cow magazine and then being hooked up to some machine while it pumped them dry or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, just to derail this conversation even further. Not possible, but go on. You know, you know how silly it is that humans get aroused by naked bodies? Like, it's stupid. It's it is stupid, yeah. Proper, proper dumb. Yeah. Animals don't get that, do they? That's not like a. Well, as much as it kind of is a natural thing, it's it's not a it's not a natural thing, is it? I don't know because I think it's more. It's not that we're. I think it's not that we're excited by naked bodies. I think it's just we're excited because it's something we don't see all the time. I think. Yeah, yeah. Because I think there's plenty of things that I don't see all the time, but when I see them, I don't. No, but obviously, in relation to. <laughs> sexual relationships and procreation of the species because there are animals that, that will do that they'll have like a plumage that they only release when they're trying to impress a mate or they'll do a dance or i think that's kind of like the same kind of thing yeah so it's not it's you not know what just I mean? looking at you're not just <laughs> looking at the same a, thing a naked cow like just a cow yeah exactly if the cow's got clothes on you're not bothered but when the cow takes her clothes off you're like whoa <laughs> It's like that's like exciting. God, I like what's under that blouse there, uh, Dolly. Might um, I say that's a smashing blouse? <laughs> it looks better on the, the uh, on the bottom of my stable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose like the act of getting naked is like our equivalent of 
like a mating dance. It's it's yeah, it's exactly the, the the understanding that ah, you know, they're naked. So that is implying that it's going to lead to uh, coitus, Dan. Yes, and it, yeah, it's that as well, isn't so it? Because it's not then the at that point, once it? the nakedness, yeah, once the nakedness happens, you are then like, oh, okay, we're now in this mode. That in subconsciously, you're like, right, okay, now we're naked. This is going to happen. So and then you start to get ready for that to happen, kind of thing. So yeah, but yeah, I see what you mean. A cow and a like a like a horse in a field, for example, sees a female horse, and it's just another female horse. But they're like, but I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. So, so but I think I'm... yeah, there are. It's not just us that does it. What I'm getting at is Play Cow Magazine would be, wouldn't be, serve the purpose you want it to serve. Yeah, but maybe in that they wear clothes. Maybe that's oh, exciting. And that's, that's the, where that's so rare for a bull to see a fully clothed cow. He's like, oh, <laughs> come on, mate. I like... <laughs> oh, dear. I will say as well, it was a shame about this explosion because no one saw it coming. No? Nothing? I t- Fuck's sakes. <laughs> that was terrible. Oh, that although is... the, the, although, the, surely, although... Surely, yeah, there were firefighters, firefighters there in defensive mode, and lots of people saw it coming. But yeah, yeah. in the end, everyone saw it coming. <laughs> the rumours are as well as that HBO has already signed up for a, a script for Chernobyl 2. So that'll be, uh, that'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> that was better. That one was a winner. That was much better. What do you mean it's exploded? <laughs> <laughs> That's impossible. Just that guy with the tash again. Shut up! It can't explode. It's bull semen. It doesn't explode, you idiot. Go on down and take a look at it. <laughs> just guys right. walking out covered in couches and bulges. The scene in Chernobyl where the geezer goes up to the roof and looks over the hole, instead of turning around with his face already. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> People in the hospital are starting to turn black and white. <laughs> like crisping up. <laughs> starting to smell like beef. He's in like a Christmas. Oh god. There's just like a locked door in the hospital, and I can hear behind the door is like, brr, brr, brr. like you didn't oh my god, touch him, did there. you? you I told him, you not you? to touch him. <laughs> A baby comes out as a cow. <laughs> oh, the God Almighty. Oh, right, the rest of the episode is just going to be imagining the uh, deeply harrowing scenes from Chernobyl. But with couches. The bulges, sorry. <laughs> oh, dearie me. <laughs> oh, that was good. Oh, man. <laughs> God almighty. That's oh, a lovely oh, show here. I think that's the best right. one we've ever had. That might be the best one. I'm very proud of it. Do you know what's amazing? So how much that first joke is like just completely whiffed. That was an that like that comeback was phenomenal. Was gr- I, I, I think the whiff only contributed to how. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh goodness me! I'm, gl- I'm glad we've got. I'm glad we've got another segment to hopefully uh, calm down before we get to the main subject of the show. Yes, me oh, too. Me too. <laughs> Okay. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, let's pull ourselves together. Right. 